Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. Everything it is suddenly based more on qualitative information than quantitative information. Um, you, you, no one could have forecasted the business impact. There's no forecast model to take into account a pandemic, right? So suddenly we're relying more and more on qualitative information, uh, which makes your CRM that much more important. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello. And welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. And today we're joined by a guest who is part of a, a larger organization that, than we normally expose to this audience, which is why I'm super excited about this conversation so we can learn more about Matthew's skills, but also about how Sales Ops works in a larger business. So let me welcome Matthew Mulhern to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. No worries. Now, first question, and I'd like to understand, I, I, I think you've been at VMware for approximately five years. And first question is, was this the first time you, you moved into the sales ops role or did you do that previous to VMware and then move over to VMware in sales operations? Yeah, so VMware has been my whole my whole sales ops career. Um, it's coming up on six years, I guess. I think next week, actually, um, if I remember the date correctly. But uh, thank you. Um, yeah, started over at uh, VMware AirWatch in particular. Um, and then we've integrated um, slowly at times, but integrated over the last six years to become truly VMware. Makes sense. And can you just for the the context of the audience, give us a, a size of VMware's scale, both in terms of total employees and then sales reps, if you can share, and then also the, the number of people in the sales ops team. Yeah, it's a good question. So I believe as of our, our big event every year is called VMware. It's going on right now, actually. Um, and I believe our CEO said 33,000 plus yesterday. So I suspect he's going to be correct, uh, probably 
more correct than anything I could come up with on my own. So I'm going to say 33,000 plus is a total organization. Um, and then as far as sales reps, um, off the top of my head, I believe it's a couple thousand um, of that 33. And sales ops, I really don't know. But if I had to take a guess, I'd say a couple hundred. Awesome. And are those are the sales ops teams structured around different products, different industries, or how, how, how does that work? Both at times. Um, so we have our what we call our core sales operations teams, um, which are centered around our core sales teams who sell the whole product. They're you know, account managers. They sell everything that VMware sells. Um, and then we also have specialist salespeople uh, with their own operations teams who are, are focused on a specific product. Um, something like you know, AirWatch, I had mentioned earlier, has developed into Workspace ONE. Um, and our end user computing business unit. So uh, different uh, in different regions, they have specialist uh, sales operations teams as well, focused on the product. Makes sense. And can you share, again, for the context of the audience, an overview of VMware's tech stack? And I understand maybe there are tools that individual sales ops teams use, but other departments other functions don't. So um, it would be good to know what what you're currently exposed to in terms of technology in your role. Yep. I would say the main thing would be Salesforce is our CRM. Um, I think we're actually, I know at a time we were the biggest Salesforce customer in the world. Wow. Or at least I am told. And I'm not so sure. I think we may have fallen off of that pedestal, but we are still a very, very large Salesforce customer. Um, and then we use Oracle to book our business, SAP to uh, as a, a business intelligence view into that. And then uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty focused, I'm pretty much 100% focused on data in general. So uh, we also use Tableau quite heavily uh, to visualize that data and um, a tool called Alteryx to, uh, to manipulate the data. Got it. And so now, now digging into your specific role, are you aligned to an industry, a product line, or like where do you sit within the ops function? I am no longer uh, uh, called specific to a uh, to a, a product. Um, up until a couple months ago, I was I was still with our end user computing business, which is Workspace One and Horizon. Uh, but that has, I've expanded my role to be all of VMware as a couple months ago. Awesome. And what specifically are you, are you focused on doing for the whole of VMware? What within FailOps? Mostly what would probably fall into business intelligence type stuff. Um, so my background is, is heavily in data and I've grown analytically in my roles um, every time, really every time my role has changed. So visualizing data, um, helping set quotas, uh, a little bit involved in forecasting, that kind of stuff. Awesome. We'll definitely dig into the forecasting part now. But before that, I'd like to understand the last few months and the impact it's having on the sales function. So I assume you guys have gone more remote. How have VMware, well, no, specifically how have the sales team and the sales ops team adapted to this this change? (laughs) Yeah, so most of our uh, most of our sales operations resources, in particular, we're already spread out. We're a, a, a worldwide company. 
be pre-COVID, we had big bases in Palo Alto, Austin, Texas, Atlanta. Um, I'm probably missing something in the U.S., but then also San Jose, Costa Rica, and Sofia, Bulgaria, as well as India. So um, whether those people were in an office at that time or now not in an office but spread out, it hasn't changed that much because we were already utilizing a lot of those tools that have to, you know, that had to be in place already to enable that collaboration worldwide. So it hasn't affected us too much from a sales operations uh, standpoint. A large majority of our our sales team was already also remote because they're they're field sales reps. They they need to be close to their customers. So uh, again, kind of the same situation. There hasn't been a tremendous tremendous impact because um, they were they were already remote. Now, obviously, not getting to to see your customers physically is a bit of a change, and we've made some adjustments to enable that in particular investing in a, a tool called Miro, uh, which is for, I believe used for, for whiteboarding um, type sessions with your customer. Um, so that's one of the, the changes uh, the sales team has made in particular. Awesome. And have there been any other shifts, whether that's operational, cultural, or tech wise uh, to help facilitate the sales people be successful? So on top of the investment in Miro, I think we uh, accelerated our deployment of Microsoft Teams. Um, that one I'm not 100% sure on, but I know shortly after COVID started, uh, they, they kicked us off Skype and said, you know, everyone, everyone has to get on Teams or, or you're not going to have access to, uh, to chat, basically. Um, so that was another thing. And then I'd say culturally... Our recruiting has shifted uh, really across the VMware as a whole. Um, so we are doing more remote uh, remote recruiting, basically, more jobs. I think we were 20% fully remote before COVID. And afterwards, we're going to be something like 60 to 80% uh, are going to at least have the option to be um, either heavily remote or fully remote. Um, awesome. You know, it, it has those impacts on on recruiting. I've started to see more jobs go up with um, either just being fully remote, or what I find pretty interesting is with a time zone as as the requirement. Mm, you know. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So those global hubs will still remain, though. I guess the amount of people who are consistently working in those offices is going to reduce. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I think. Some of our smaller offices will eventually probably um, either go away completely um, at some point. Uh, I would expect, but that's a just a, a, a guess. Nothing, nothing yeah. released yet. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I would yeah. expect that to be you know kind of the norm against across businesses um, mm. of you know, getting rid of either shrinking or, or getting rid of their real estate investments and leases completely. I, it's fascinating because the. Cost, the cost savings clear for VMware, e.g. not having to pay for these really luxurious big offices. But what's going to happen to all these buildings? If beyond the scope of this uh, <laughs> of this discussion, but it's fascinating, isn't it? It is. It's, uh, it, it'll be really something to keep track of over the next few years. And then you know, one of the other smaller shifts kind of related to real estate is that with more of our employees going remote, we're letting... 
more people from Palo Alto, our Palo Alto office, now want to move somewhere where it doesn't cost a million dollars for a, a 900 square foot home. So, uh, you know, that'll be an interesting shift as well to, to watch, see how many tech companies leave Palo Alto or you know, Silicon Valley altogether. So were you in the, the, in the Texas office previously? I was not. I've actually been fully remote now for about four years of my six at VMware. Mm. Um, previously living in New Orleans, Louisiana, and then uh, have moved since to Houston, Texas. Um, our closest office is actually in Austin for me. So you're a remote professional. No, like there was, there, there was, it was a seamless transition. Yeah, it, it, everyone always, it's kind of funny before COVID, everyone would ask me questions about, you know, and I would say I work from home full time. They'd say, oh, yeah, like, do you, you know, sit on your couch all day and watch Netflix while you're working and, and just pretend to be online? I always would say that I, I hope my company thinks more of me uh, <laughs> than, you know, than what would, what that would enable. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, it really not much of a shift with COVID for me in particular, I already had my, my home office fully set up and everything. Awesome. Now let's, let's focus back on sales ops. And as you mentioned, your kind of background, at least for your time at VMware has been on analytics and also looking at forecasting and quotas. What I'd like to ask is how is it like, how can you get, I want to talk about forecast accuracy. And especially over the last few months, what have you guys been doing to try and ensure that your forecast is accurate? So over the last few months, I think it throws a big wrench into it because everything is suddenly based more on qualitative information than quantitative information. Uh, No one could have forecasted the business impact. There's no forecast model to take into account a pandemic, right? So suddenly we're relying more and more on qualitative information, uh, which makes your CRM that much more important to have that qualitative information so you can get more information like you know, this company's budget is seriously impacted by COVID, so it's probably not going to happen this quarter, maybe not even this year, depending on that. Um, so yeah, I think, it's, I think that's the big shift is, is to more qualitative information than, than quantitative. And so for your work, when you're just looking at the numbers, are you then combined? I, 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 I'm actually not sure like what, what part of the forecasting process you kind of jump in at, but you must be taking the numbers, but then also then going into the CRM and trying to pull out the qualitative data to inform what you would forecast. Yeah, so pretty early on, one of the things that we went through was um, digging through Salesforce and trying to find keywords related to um, related to COVID and the pandemic, uh, and key phrases that were indicating either a positive or negative relationship. The nature of our business is that uh, with end-user computing, with in particular Horizon, which is remote desktops, um, <clears throat> that business picked up tremendously because of everything. We over literally over weekends we were having to deploy thousands of new uh, remote desktops to customers. Mm-hmm. So that they could enable work from home, basically. Um, so there has been uh, a decent positive relationship with COVID in that, in fact, a lot of customers have to um, you know, set that all up. But then also trying to track the negative as well and, and uh, work that into you know, forecast and 
That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that that makes total sense. What do you think you could do to improve the forecasting process? So I read a book uh, a few years ago called "The The Signal and the Noise" by by Nate Silver. And if there's one thing in there that I got out of it, it's that the aggregate of multiple forecasting methodologies is always going to perform better than any singular methodology over time. So I think that's the key, is how do you blend more quantitative, mathematical, scientific forecasting models with the sort of traditional, um, super qualitative sales rep, uh, sales rep or sales management-based forecast based on literally on I see these deals. I think these ones are coming in. Um, chances are, uh, and what you know, data says and what science says over time is that blending two, three, four of those together um, is going to perform better over time than any one of them. So, I think that's how you do it. And so, is that the way? Like, are you guys currently combining different approaches in order to make them more accurate? I think at different levels we are. Uh, to tell you the truth, our, our sales forecast is still very, very qualitative based uh, on on what our sales management team is, is rolling up. But um, I, I do believe some of our more numbers-driven um, business unit or functions like finance are, are also working in a, a more mathematical, scientific forecast. Although, again, you know, with a pandemic, you can kind of throw out any sort of pipeline movement metrics from previous quarters because who knows what is really going to happen anymore. Yeah. Now onto metrics. And so throughout your time at VMware, which sales metric has been particularly valuable to you? One of the things I've kind of hung my hat on getting set up and tracking is our productivity per rep. Um, it has some challenges. It, it kind of sounds pretty easy of, you know, how much, how much you sold, how many reps you have, but, uh, you know, it, it ends up being relatively hard to track the number of reps at, at times with all the movement that a sales team can have. Um, so I think productivity per rep is key. And then the other KPIs we track, I would say are all the quote unquote normal ones, you know, bookings, pipeline, pipeline coverage, uh, percent to plan, that kind of. So overall, are you looking for the productivity per rep to rise gradually? Because obviously you'd expect the productivity per rep, per individual rep to increase over time as they get better at their job. But of course you have consistent churn and rehiring of reps. So is that something you look look to increase gradually? And if yes, what, what do you do to try and improve that? Um, I would say you, you look to increase it gradually uh, at times, and then also there are definitely jumps from inorganic churn, uh, also known as layoffs, mm-hmm. um, where you know we still have a revenue goal that is generally growth, uh, even though our headcount has shrunk at times. But obviously, what that makes for is a, a, a decent jump in productivity one one quarter to the next uh, when that happens. Um, how do you know? How do you make sales perhaps more productive? That's a that's a good question. I think if I had the, a great answer, I'd be a, a millionaire right now. Mm, yeah, exactly. Amazing. Now, 
A final two questions. First of which is who has been the most inspirational for you in your career? I think my my last boss, uh, Roger Parrish uh, at VMware, has probably been the most inspirational. And it, he probably doesn't even realize it. But I think a really powerful thing to inspire someone is just to believe in them and just keep challenging them and asking questions of them and making them you know, improve their skills. And again, going back to challenging them, every time, every time someone gets challenged, hopefully they rise to it and they, you know, they learn something from it and, and can take away, uh, you know, an, an important thing from it and then they're better for it. So uh, yeah, I would, I'd say my last boss, Roger Parrish. And then who in the world of sales operations would you like to take for lunch, whether you know them or not? <laughs> I would say uh, I do know her. It would be my first uh, uh, my first sales operations boss. I believe she was on the show previously, actually, Stephanie Teal. Um, she is a, an old an old Airwatch employee. Uh, she was my first sales ops manager, and she's gone on to a couple. Uh, smaller. I'm not sure if they qualify as startups or not, but definitely smaller organizations. And it just seems like she's been doing uh, doing great stuff, setting up new Salesforce instances for them and, and all their sales operations processes. So, uh, on two accounts, I'd love to hear from you know from her on on her work, but also just like to catch up personally. Personally, shout out to Stephanie. I love it when a another guest. If connected to another guest on the show, um, it makes us think that we are, we're getting to know a, a chunk of the sales ops world slowly but surely. Um, amazing. Matthew, the, I'd like to pick out one thing, one or two things from each interview. And the, the, the thing from this thing I'd like to pick out, which we haven't heard before, is this insight you got from Nate Silver's book that multiple forecasting methods are typically more accurate than one. And so the thing I'd like any sales ops ninja to to look at if they're listening now is to potentially look at other forecasting methods and maybe combine them to increase the accuracy of the forecast. So Matthew, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Have a great day, Tom. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales of Demystified Podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com. 